Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, the blessings of being a child of God are many. Uh, in Christ Jesus, we have all spiritual blessings. In Christ Jesus, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And as God's children, we have the sure hope of the life that is to come. Moreover, we are able to have peace, joy, and comfort uh, in the life that now is because our Father reigns in the kingdom of men. So times may be tough and the road ever able to say it is well with my soul. The psalmist declares in Psalm 106, verses 4 and 5, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Because our God is God and because he is the good God that he is, uh, gives us reason every day to be thankful for his blessings, to be thankful for his loving kindness, uh, to be thankful for his favor. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. Uh, we want to direct your attention again this morning uh, to the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, by the newlywed, and congratulations again to uh, Brother Zane and Sister Stephanie. Uh, we want to look again there in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse number 5. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse number 5, there Peter declares, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Based on the words of the apostle uh, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject protected by God's power. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the presence of hope in the midst of suffering is the theme of this letter written by Peter. Man, by virtue uh, of our being, stands in need of hope. When you look at life, our circumstances are not always favorable and our path is not always clear. There are detours, dead ends, and dry places. There are setbacks, setups, shutdowns, and letdowns. We are almost two-thirds of, uh, two of the way through the year 2020, and if 2020 has been nothing else, it has been a challenge. Uh, but having said that, uh, I want to say that the early church was well acquainted with adversity. In fact, adversity was the primary reason for the writing of this letter by Peter. And this message that he writes of encouragement and assurance uh, included the idea of hope. And when we talk about hope, I, I submit to you that many people don't understand the Christian's hope. 
Some would assert that hope is wishful thinking or trying to be optimistic. Con men play on the desperate hope of people to get rich quick. You know, millions play the lottery in the hope of winning. And I just hope everybody out there is aware of the fact that state-run lotteries don't exist for altruistic or philanthropic reasons. Uh, We have state lotteries, uh, if you want to get down to the nuts and bolts of it, uh, we have state lotteries because ultimately it's a way for certain individuals to pay less tax. But hope not properly founded can be a word of desperation. It is attributed to Francis Bacon as having said that hope is a good breakfast, but it is a bad supper. Uh, But to those who know the faithfulness of God and the power of God, hope is not a risky proposition. It is a calm assurance. Uh, The Hebrew writer, when he was talking about hoping God, uh, in Hebrews 6 and verse number 19, he declared, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So when we give consideration to the words of the apostle here uh, in in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, it's important that we bear in mind the difference between hope in God and hope in other contexts. Uh, The person that plays the lottery hopes to win. Uh, And and all I'll say uh, in reference to that, I'll let Solomon speak to that. In Proverbs 17 and verse number 24, Solomon declares, wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. And and how many times have you heard people sit around and talk about all they could do uh, uh, if they hit the Powerball? And and even some of them wax religious about it. You know, if I hit the Powerball, I I, I could bless the church uh, 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 with some money and, and, and finish the building fund or whatever project it is. Uh, uh, that the uh, church might be undertaking at the time. Uh, uh, But if you stop and think about it, it, God owns the world and and everything therein. And and what makes us think that God is relying on us hitting the Powerball to be able to accomplish his purposes? When we talk about hope in God, uh, hope in God never has any odds. With with, with God, there's no element of risk or uncertainty. In another place in your Bibles, in Romans 8, verses 24 and 25, Paul declares, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Paul helps us appreciate the difference between hope in the sense of of hitting the Powerball and hope in God. See, when when you're talking about God, there's never any odds. When it pertains to God, hope is sure. It's called hope because it has yet to be received or realized. Uh, You remember the great passage in Hebrews 11, verse number one, uh, where the Hebrew writer declares that uh, hope is, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's called hope. it's sure if we just haven't received it yet. So when Peter uh, appeals to his audience, and, and I would uh, assert that the message here is relevant for audiences of all times, 
but what Peter does is Peter makes an appeal based on a fact of life and a reality in light of that fact. Now, the fact of life is that in our service to Christ, we will face some opposition. Now, I know this because in verse 6 there in 1 Peter 1, Peter says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Peter said, you're facing adversity right now, and the reason you're facing adversity is because of your service to God. Now, if you didn't get it in verse 6, there's no missing over in chapter 5, verse 8, where he says, uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's just a fact of life that in service to Christ, one will face opposition. Now, the reality uh, uh, is that Christians are not to be discouraged by opposition or adversity because we have the sure hope of God's protection. Now, that's what he said in verse 5. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, be sure to hear what Peter said and, and not run with what he did not say. He said we are kept by the power of God, not that we have been granted immunity. And, and someone, might, someone might ask, well, preacher, aren't protection and immunity the same thing? And in a word, I answer, no, they are very different things. I immunity means an exemption from suffering, but protection means that you may suffer, but God is in control. Uh, 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 protection is akin to the assurance we find in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13. Uh, you remember the great passage there, don't you? Uh, uh, Paul says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, if you hear what Paul is saying there, Paul is saying we do not get immunity, but we do get protection. See, God is not going to keep us from adversity, but he does make a way for us to be equal or superior to the adversity that we will face. I hope we remember that as we go through life. You know, when we face adversity, sometimes we ask God, why me? Uh, the better question to ask would, might be, why not me? If it's somebody going to be used to glorify God, even if it's through suffering, then why not me? Am I not a child of God? Don't I profess to be a servant of God? Don't we pray, not my will, but thy will be done? And if it's God's will that I, be glorif uh, that I glorify him through suffering, then may his will be done. So when we look at the words of Peter here, uh, again in verse number five, he declares, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation to be revealed in the last time. Uh, when I read the words of Peter, uh, uh, one of the things that we come away with is that God's power is realized through faith. You know, the word of God is not something that you just put on the shelf and in times of crisis, you pull it down and it works and it solves all of your issues. Uh, uh, the power of God and the word of God just don't work that way. The, the concept of faith transcends the idea of a passive dependence on God's benevolence. 
Now, now what I said there is just hoping when my trouble comes that God will be good to me because he's a nice God and he doesn't want to see anybody suffer. Faith just doesn't work that way. As God's children, we have been called to obedience. And again, I know this just by looking at what Peter says. In verse number two, he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. God has called us to be obedient to his commands. And God's power is actuated in our lives in the same manner that is detailed for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and you know, we could use any of the individuals mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, but I want us to consider the example of Noah. Uh, uh, there in Hebrews 11 and verse number seven, the Bible says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now, when you look at what the Hebrew writer tells us there, there are a number of things we are able to discern just from what we know uh, of the Bible in other places. When it said Noah did this by faith, even if he hadn't said being warned of God, we would know this means that God told Noah not just what was coming, but what he needed to do to be spared from what was coming. And Noah, you can't sit around and just hope that being the good God that I am, that I'll spare you. Noah, you need to do something. And when we look at that account, Noah was not by trade a seaman. In fact, we are told in Genesis 9 verse 20 that Noah was a farmer. And the task to which, God, uh, to which Noah had been called by God would have still been a daunting one, even if Noah had been a ship shipbuilder and a zoologist at the same time. Noah, I want you to build this huge boat, and, and I want you to take uh, two of the unclean and seven pairs of the clean in the boat with you. Now, to build what God had commanded was no small feat. Uh, the ark would have been almost 450 feet long, uh, uh, almost 50 feet high, and almost 75 feet wide. That's a great deal of building, especially when you are not a shipbuilder. Now, how did Noah accomplish this daunting task? Uh, that's an easy question to answer. He accomplished that by the power of God. When God told him what to do, Noah was obedient and God enabled Noah to do everything that he needed to do to be obedient to his will. And what we take from that is that the power of God enables us to become and to do what we cannot on our own when it pertains to the accomplishing of his will. I believe that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, Philippians 4.13. When it comes to serving God, whatever the issue might be, when it, if I need to forgive somebody, if I need to move on from past hurts in my living, well, whatever my circumstance might be, if it's consistent with the will of God, God by his power will make me able to perform. But then there is a second thing to be observed from what the apostle says here uh, in, in verse number five. Not only is God's power realized through faith, 
But when we understand what is revealed to us in the word of God, we appreciate that God's power is more than sufficient. Uh, you know, we all have doubts sometimes about all kinds of things, but one of the things we need to remember is that I will never face anything in life that is too hard for God. Now, it might be something I, I don't want to go through. It, it might be something if left up to me, I would choose another path, but I will never face anything in my living that is too hard or too great for God. But when we look at God, when we just consider God's person and his power, demonstrations of God's power abound in both scripture and in our living. In fact, when you open the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible gives us a demonstration of God's power. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible declares, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And when you look at that verse, I'm impressed not by just the what, but I'm also impressed by the when. Now, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, that's impressive when you make something out of nothing, and especially when the something you made out of nothing is an entire universe. That in and of itself is something. But notice what Moses says there, in the beginning. Now, with God, God has no beginning. He's from everlasting to everlasting. But, but in the beginning, at the very start of things, how great do you have to be to exist before the beginning? So it's not just what God did, is when you look at time, time even says that God is great. But you know, we often take uh, the demonstrations of God's power for granted. Do you know when we wake up every morning that it took power to wake us up? Do you know it takes power to keep the earth revolving around the sun? It, it takes power to provide air for us to breathe and sunshine for us to feel and, and rain uh, uh, to help things grow. And that's God showing his power every day. Uh, uh, the miracle of birth is a demonstration of God's power. Uh, do you remember Genesis 4 verse 1? The Bible says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Have you stopped and thought about that? Uh, uh, those of us that are parents, where do we get our children from? Children are a heritage from the Lord. It is not so much uh, that we uh, appropriated and nature took his place. Yeah, that was part of the equation, but it was the power of God that set these things in place and the power of God that's still at work in our world today. Well, Peter appeals to uh, another demonstration of God's power. And in this case, the demonstration of God's power is the raising of Jesus from the dead. Notice what he says there in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's what you have to appreciate. Other people had been raised from the dead prior to the resurrection of Christ. But Jesus' resurrection is unique in that he is the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Uh, see, Jesus only died to be the sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. But God raised him from the dead 
and, and, and raising somebody from the dead. You know, we talk sometimes about people having these near-death experiences and, and people talking about they were dead for a time and uh, the experience they had and then they came back again. Uh, well, let me assure you, if you died, and I mean died, died, if your spirit was separated from your body, you do not come back again to tell us about the experience that you had. Now, you, you might be dead according to man's definition of dead, but, but be dead like Lazarus was dead. Be dead four days in the grave and, and let God raise you up uh, uh, from that. Be dead like Jesus was dead three days in the grave and God raised you up from there. I don't mean you were down on the operating table and for a few minutes they couldn't detect vital signs and that kind of thing. Be dead, dead. It, it, it takes the power of God to raise a dead man. And, and, and then uh, further there in First uh, Peter chapter one, uh, look with me at verse number nine. Peter says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. God's power is more than sufficient, and God's power, uh, it keeps both the heirs and the inheritance. The very same power that raised Jesus is the same power that guards those in Christ and keeps our inheritance in heaven. You know, that's a staggering thought when you stop and think about it. The power that God used in the beginning when he said, let there be light. The power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's working in us today. And, and, and I want to be careful to say again uh, that the fact that we are protected by the power of God does not mean that we are exempt from adversity or suffering. It does mean that we are kept from being mauled by Satan. Do you know Satan would maul us given the chance? It, what did Peter say? As a roaring lion, he goes about seeking those who, uh, uh, whom he may devour. Well, why doesn't he just maul us if he's a roaring lion? See, we're kept by the power of God. Uh, you remember the great patriarch Job, don't you? You remember when Satan wanted to maul Job? You remember how the power of God restrained Satan uh, the first go round, God says, all that he has is in your power, but don't you put your hands on him. And then Satan comes back and complains, and God says, well, you can put your hands on him, but don't you kill him. He was restrained by the power of God. And I'm glad the power of God measures my faith and restrains Satan from mauling me. And, and what I need to remember in my times of adversity if God allows it to come to me, then God has decided through his enabling grace, I'm equal to that. Now, what I've had to learn is there's a difference between what I can handle and what I like. Now, if you ask me what I like, I don't like any adversity at all. But being the contrary beings that we are, sometimes we are resolved that we will only learn through adversity or suffering. And let us remember, when we obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we gave God a blank check on our living that says, use me in whatever way you see fit. And if it so pleases God to use me by suffering some adversity, then God's will be done. And let us remember further that God's power not only keeps us, it guarantees what he has promised. 
Uh, do you remember the words of Jesus, John chapter 14, starting at verse number one? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, when you talk about God's promise, uh, remember that a promise is only as good as the integrity and the ability of the one making the promise. You know, people are not beyond making promises that they have not the wherewithal to fulfill. See, with man, there are always contingencies. Uh, you can ask me for my help, and I may want to help you with everything in me, but there are some contingencies. Uh, uh, Brother Cook, will you help me move tomorrow? Now, I can say yes, but it's contingent on a number of things. It's contingent on the fact that there is a tomorrow. It's contingent on the fact that if there is a tomorrow, that I make it to tomorrow. And it's contingent on the fact that even if I make it to tomorrow, that God gives me the strength to perform what you've asked me. See, with man, there are all kinds of contingencies. But see, with God, there's never a contingency with him. What God has promised is sure. And what God has promised, because he is faithful, he will perform. When you stop and look at, at life today, we are living in challenging times and a troubled world, but we are able to have peace and joy because we are protected by God's power. And, and when you talk about God's power, you know, when I think about COVID-19, now I'm not going to deliberately put myself in harm's way, but I know that the coronavirus can kill the body, but not the soul. Uh, you know, I'm glad we're protected by God's power. Now, God hadn't told me how it's going to end for me, but, but he has told me to, to uh, uh, exercise wisdom and to be faithful. Uh, 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 so I, I don't go to sleep at night, uh, you know, deathly afraid that I'll contract COVID-19. I, I know the power of God is greater than any disease. There is, uh, uh, again, uh, in our world, a great cry for social justice and equality. And, and, and I don't know what will work out down here. I don't even know that we're altogether willing to talk about it. But I rejoice in the fact that there will be final, perfect, and complete unity in heaven. You know, sometimes you just have to remind yourself, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm so glad I don't live here. I don't know what to do with myself. Now, I know we're not in any particular rush to leave, uh, but I'm glad I don't live here. I'm glad this is just a stop on, the, on our way to somewhere better. And when you talk about the power of God, the power of God is able to meet our deepest need. And that is, I need something done about my sin problem so I can be reconciled to God and see him at peace in that final day. And the power of God has set in place uh, a provision whereby we might be reconciled to him. Uh, now, the provision that God has set in place requires that we hear the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, but was raised the third day for our justification. In Romans 10 and verse number 17, the Bible declares uh, uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
we must believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus declares, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We must be willing to repent of sin. And, and, and repentance means that I turn uh, uh, control of my life over to God and I live my life in obedience and submission to his will. In, in Acts 17, 30 and 31, uh, the Bible declares that God requires all men to repent because there's a day coming in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Christ Jesus. We must make the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 10, verse 32, and then be baptized in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. And when we go down into the waters of baptism in obedience to the gospel call, as a matter of grace and mercy, the power of God goes to work and washes away our sins in the waters of baptism. God indwells us with his spirit and he adds us uh, uh, to the church of Christ. And God does this, he gives us a spiritual family that helps us deal with all the hardships and adversity that we face uh, in this life. And he adds us to the kingdom so that we might be vessels used for his glory in his service. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul calls for us to walk worthy of the vocation by which we have been called. Perhaps you're listening to this broadcast and you want to be baptized into Christ Jesus, or you're listening and you want the church to pray for you, then we bid you to reach out uh, to our leaders at elders at laurelchurch.net. And at this time, we'll have the song of invitation. 